Hello, everyone. I am Mark L. Vincent. I direct the Convene Consulting Network. I am joined today by a good friend and a longstanding colleague, Randall Dick, uh, someone that I consider to be uh, among the foremost experts in governance. And it is a subject that stumps a lot of people and it reduces a lot of value for the organization if they stay stumped. So we're gonna talk a little bit about that today. And Randall, thank you very much for joining me. My pleasure. Yeah. Randall also is recruiting a convene team in the Seattle area. And he has worked internationally and helped a number of organizations move from uh, a distant form of governance to having their own governance as they moved toward independence. So perhaps we'll have a chance to talk a little bit about that. So Randall, I'd like to lead off with a question about integration. You've done a lot of work with governance and organizational performance. And so I would like it if you could describe what is the same here and what is different. It, uh, I think we need to distinguish here the, the for-profit and nonprofit world because what I'm about to say is the same really for both because they're based on larger principles. But the locus of control obviously is different uh, in a for-profit that is not board driven versus a nonprofit that would be board driven. But in either case, there's, there is an entity that is responsible for understanding with great clarity and communicating purposes for which the organization exists. And uh, I think most for-profit leadership would agree with Drucker, what he said about nonprofits in that all nonprofits exist <clears throat> to benefit, to create benefit for human beings. And I think most of the companies we respect you know, they exist to make money for their shareholders, but by doing something that makes some contribution to the greater good of, of society. So uh, the relationship between the two is that uh, the, 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 there's a source that provides clarity, that defines what the benefits are and who is to receive them. If that doesn't exist, uh, then you have uh, you have no real peel on the, on the ship. And, uh, you know, the winds tend to batter and you have a rudder and the captain controls quite well, but the real, the real mission fulfillment requires that uh, clarity. And then the second thing that goes along with that is uh, clarity provides the, uh, the call to action the invitation to aggressively pursue success and defines what that is. But the board, uh, or in the for-profit case, the, the controlling entity also must provide boundaries that define what is not acceptable and monitor those boundaries so that what is produced is done produced in a legal, ethical, moral, and culturally contextual, contextually appropriate manner. That's really, uh, that's really the core of governance. Just as in the for-profit, there's governance going on. We just, we don't call it that. It's the same things must go on in either place. And uh, nonprofits rely on it uh, if, you know, because, it, because they're board driven. Hmm. So let's just kind of move this along a little bit then. So you've spent 
as I mentioned, significant time working in a global organization and, and you were helping each unit become more autonomous in different countries. So how, what did that experience teach you about this world of acquisitions and mergers and startups and spinoffs? Wow. Well, uh, in, the, in the school of uh, global experience, you quickly come to appreciate how diverse we are in terms of our cultures. Mm -hmm. And you also come to appreciate how deep culture runs well below the conscious level uh, in, in a group of people, in a culture. And so when we're dealing internationally and, and uh, global business, uh, it really is not practical or even possible uh, to, to uh, successfully in, in the time frame of business probe and understand another culture. So the key to success as, as, as I experienced it and have, have observed you know, some of the more successful international operations, what they do is they establish at a high level the common ground between all of the, all the cultures is. And that generally, uh, that generally pretty much uh, coincides with purposes and the benefits for which the company exists. And so that again, to use the uh, maritime analogy, that provides a keel, regardless of whether the ship is from the United States or from some other culture, uh, those shared values create the common ground, create a common passion, purpose, and, and uh, that generates the willingness and uh, desire to produce. Now, some companies make, and, le and nonprofit leadership makes the mistake of assuming, and it, it's not an intentional thing, it's not an evil thing most times, but it, it really does not have good effect. When there's the assumption, and I might also say we Americans are we have a problem with this, assuming that our culture and our way is superior, and that everyone else should want it, and if not, at least they would benefit by having it. And so uh, we, we, without meaning to, impose our culture. You can even see this in the global uh, century-long missionary movement, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the 1800s. It, it was seen as hand-in-hand -hand with colonial expansion because it was the imposition of a culture. Success in cross-cultural ministry, business, uh, shared values locked in describes a direction of march. At that point, stepping back and identifying universal, what's universally unacceptable is the next important step. And then the third and the challenge is letting the other within reason take its own shape. So I was uh, surprised, but not, you know, but it made a great deal of sense the first time uh, I went to McDonald's in Germany and uh, ordered a beer. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Something we do in the United States or, uh, or spaghetti in Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. uh, these, you know, this is, uh, this is, this is this principle in action. Oh, and uh, it's interesting. One of my one of my mentors in, in uh, sociology was talking about uh, cross cultural business, and he said uh, one thing: when you get something truly contextualized, 
where you're not imposing a, your own culture upon it, but you've established these values and you're you're arriving at something that truly uh, shares the same values, but, but expresses within the, 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 the own context. He said, one thing I can almost guarantee you, at least at first, and that is you're not gonna like it. I think that's one of the real challenges mm -hmm. of the, the humility that's required in leadership is to, uh, is to be able to see that those things which are essential are in place and then, uh, you know, uh, encourage the other, even though personally may not take it. I like the fact that you're bringing up uh, context, Randall. Uh, that's a very difficult thing for senior leaders to get their minds wrapped around and then their decisions and then their actions. I'd like to also think about measures of success, which I would think are also a little bit contextual. In other words, it wouldn't just be tied to straight up profit in every case. Uh, and for many, there wouldn't just be a single driver for saying, hey, we're successful here. So what are the benefits of setting and maintaining measures that folks have agreed to uh, for running business? Well, I think that uh, the history of business, including the current time, uh, really eloquently um, makes the point here. Uh, and that is, in order to stay the course, you have to have something that doesn't change. Hmm. And whereas society changes, the needs change, therefore the products may change. Uh, they may, you know, a lot of things may change. But if you take a look, for instance, uh, one of my favorite companies in this regard, uh, I guess because I like pens, I like, I like fountain pens. And uh, at, a, at a really key moment, my parents uh, bought me a uh, Mont Blanc uh, 75, 75th anniversary commemorative pen. It's interesting because in the cap, uh, engraved in, in the gold of the, of the, uh, of the bottom of the cap that screws on, uh, there's a little diamond and under that is engraved 75 years of passion and excellence. And you know that I think that's a, a real eloquent statement because your passion comes and goes a lot in companies. And you have companies that have run a brilliant course and they just lost their passion and uh, the product began to deteriorate, the workforce began to experience problems and engagement and, and you know, stock prices began to fall and somebody else came along and replaced them eventually. Uh, those companies like Mont Blanc, like Ritz Carlton, uh, you say, what, what makes them, uh, you know, what makes them different? I mean, you can even, you can even put Apple and at least uh, up until recently anyway, Starbucks, mm -hmm. you know, there was a, in fact, I remember a few years ago when we first came up to the Seattle area, that was right when uh, the, the founding or the former CEO who had retired came back and took over Starbucks again because he said, we have wandered from our core our core purposes. It had all these different menus and sandwiches and things going on. He cleared them all out and he said, we are about forming community around coffee. Let's get back to it. And he turned Starbucks around and sent it on another mm -hmm. you know, extended growth curve. Uh, so something, uh, something that is unchangeable that forms the heart and core, the psyche of the company, has to be preserved, and uh, that's what uh, you know. The measurements are just really 
looking at the results of that passion and seeing if they reflect quality and and the and those core purposes. Mm-hmm. And without that, you know, Randall, I I'm I'm smiling because you're getting at what I think is going to be a little bit deeper part of our conversation here about governance, that when you know what your context is and you're sensitive to it, when you know what your mission is and you're letting that be a chief and central measure of success, uh, you're now talking about how you govern the thing, not just how it performs, how you recognize that you're you know, on the rails that you want to be on. You have also, in your work, been pretty strong with articulating the idea that the God of heaven is our best example of governance and how something can be governed. So can you make that tangible and practical for us? Absolutely. Uh, To do that, I'm going to have to speak into the unknown, at least as far as detail. Okay. Uh, We are told in general terms that there was a point in time where evil did not exist. That humanity was fully good. I called it very good. There was a way of functioning. There was an organized universe and an organized you know, uh, environment uh, that time as well. Uh, at some point along the continuum, there was event that I don't like the general terminology of the fall, whatever whatever it's called, there was a point after which people thought differently. And their relationship with God, at least temporarily, you know, the promises were there for regarding redemption, but at the time anyway, a relationship of God and the relationship of people themselves changed. And to just identify a very broad level, what happened is that as humanity looked to self to determine right and wrong, they began to look at power, which previously was something that was seen as everything else was labeled as very good. Granted, our, especially to a mortal, a mortal flesh is can be dangerous and needs to be protected and insulated from harm. It's a good thing. From that time, power began to be commodity instead. A commodity, because it was a commodity, is something that self could latch on to, acquire, barter, gain, lose. And all of our thinking has revolved around that. And of course, organized power has taken various shapes through the through the various uh, civilizations. And as our structure was formed through the guilds of the uh, you know, of the Europe and the, the, the colonial era, etc., uh, age of expansion. Uh, this formed our basis for boards of directors and, and thinking. It's very much hmm. mercantile. It is very much our centric. It is very much our as a commodity. And so it's interesting. I work with groups, some of whom are God, you know, God acknowledging, God fearing groups of people. And when I work with them, we go right back to this point. And then we take what power was, what God defines power as, and we walk right through to the point we say, now let's roll this out. How does this, how does this actually play out in the boardroom? Mm. Mm. Um, you know, I, I work with companies that are, 
in boards that I would say are 100 or nearly so percent PSD with equal success. Simply don't go into where the, what the source of the wisdom is. Hmm. But we go back to the, the starting point that there is this wisdom and it needs to come into the boardroom and by and large those organizations say how, how brilliant, how wise, wow. Wow. How, how this works. Yeah. And it is nothing more than going back saying we will not shape ourselves with, with the thinking of the fall. We will shape ourselves as God intended. We will look at power as a good thing. We will embrace it. You know, when I'm working with churches, especially uh, in the initial kind of workshopping this idea out, I will ask them at some point, how much of God's power do you want going through your church? There's always this dumbfounded silence for a moment or two and people looking around like, what's the answer to this? You know, and eventually somebody says, well, all we can get, mm -hmm. right. You want all you can get, then why do we, why do we work so hard to, to destroy and dismantle it, insulate mm -hmm. it? Yeah. And so, but that really, that, that, that's the core answer. Mm -hmm. it, it all goes back to that. And then it, it goes from that into very practical applications, uh, you know, at all levels of the company. Mm. I, I'm just making a strong mental note here of these concepts that you've been articulating. So we've talked about context and how important that is. You talked about mission centeredness as a key evaluator and measure of an organization's success. And now we're talking about the stewardship of power, which is instrumental in being able to, if you're stewarding your power, to be sensitive to a context and then to say, hey, we're gonna honor our mission. So if this is intriguing to an executive leader, they own a company, they're responsible for the PNL, they're recognizing that they have to take care of the governance structure, the investors, the owners, the uh, people who, who have staked their investment with the organization, every bit as much as the marketplace itself, the customer, the client, the, the people that they employ. So if they want to take a more substantial step or even a first step in addressing their organization's governance, maybe they say, I've got to stop putting this off. I must attend to it. Where do you recommend they start? That's a great question and where it would be ideal to start and where they may be able to start could be two very different places. Hmm. That's okay. I almost hesitate a little bit. Yeah. Um, so let me address the reality first. That is um, a leader has to first recognize a need. And to the degree that we look around us where everything is, like I said, it's driven from the ideas, uh, the tree of knowledge, and not at the tree of life. Uh, we're part of an environment we look around. As Christians, we tend to Christianize that current, that, that existing status. We'll take all the obviously bad things, get rid of them, put in different nomenclature, whatever. We'll call them elder boards or you know whatever we yes. do. And then we feel like we just need to live with that. The amount of uh, the amount of complacency or, or satisfaction with that is, is, is almost universal. And so um, if somebody, to, like, assuming your question, they see past that and they say, this is not working. I know there's something else or something different. Uh, I think that, that as a Christian, they would go to God, 
turn to look at and just say, God, how do you look at things? Start being aware that there is a different way of looking. And what they're going to see at that point is they want all the power they can have going through that company. And they don't want to chop it up. They don't want to, uh, uh, you know, they don't want to diminish it. Now, most companies do want that, but they're afraid of the power. They chop it into pieces that can only function partially. Instead of saying, let's take all this power and then let's decide how it needs to be insulated, where damage would be done and what kind of accountability to put into place to see that that does not happen. Then, and then let the power flow. The way that that practically works out, I like, particularly, I like to call the football field, or for my Canadian friends, the hockey rink. Uh, and, it, and it brings in a couple of key principles. One is, you look at how God tends to use power with us. He tends to prescribe outcomes, which in the which in the analogy of a football field would be akin to setting up the goals of the end zone and the and, the, and so when that happens, the team has they know what success is. They they are invited to pursue it aggressively. They just cross that line as many times as you can, hopefully more than the other team. Mm. Now, God prescribes that, but if you look at how God tends to work with us, he proscribes boundaries. He doesn't prescribe boundaries. There'd be an endless list. Ten commandments are proscriptive. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. It's always a much smaller list, and it tends to be the important thing. And as leaders, we should stop talking when the important things have been in place. Now, that's like putting boundaries on the football field. And what happens then, uh, instead of typically when there's a broken play in a, in, a, in a company or an organization, everything stops while they figure out who was to blame. And then committees are put together to figure out what we need to do differently. And then eventually we get back into action. Whereas the way that uh, the way that it could work is that, like in football, there's a broken play. If the people are in bounds and they are pursuing the goal, um, any means they may choose to use is acceptable. And that's what, a, if a leader creates that for his people in his company, his church, or, 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 or a nonprofit organization, the level of engagement at the shop floor level is amazing level of engagement at the management level is amazing. The issues that tend to create disengagement that are caused by management being kind of frustrated, caught in the middle kind of things and acting out goes away. And you get this, uh, you get what looks like a, a great football team work on the field and broken plays become touchdowns. So there's a nimbleness, et cetera, that in a nonprofit actually boosts it to a level of, of, of uh, efficiency operational efficiency that that compares uh, with, with a good for-profit company. And uh, to achieve those those things, I think, uh, at least in my experience, those are the things that any leader I've worked with or any CEO or executive director starts to really light them up. You know? mm -hmm. And, and they're, they're ready to they get their hands on that and take off with it. Yeah, it's good to have a short-term action that you can somehow create uh, in some alignment with that long-term uh, need that you're trying to address uh, so that you don't lose sight of it? Well, uh, tell me if this is not, if you're looking for something beyond this, but, you know, a, a good assessment 
there was a common vocabulary. Hmm. Well, so, you know, sometimes we'll, we'll do an assessment. Other times, as I'm a assess consultant by nature and trade, uh, I, I don't always use an assessment, but we'll sit down and just talk together thoroughly and discover hmm. together what the situation is uh, and then begin to process how some of these things might change that. Uh, well, let's understand. Uh, yeah. So, Randall, as we wrap this up, then let's let's make sure that a link to that assessment is included in the resource guide that we create so that if somebody says, well, I'd like to get a common language, I'd like to figure this out, they'd have some access. And uh, we'll all also, of course, put uh, how you, folks can contact you if they want to have more of a conversation sure. with you. Sure. So uh, let me say thank you for uh, sitting in on this conversation with me and thank you for listening. Thank you, Mark. Thank you.